chapter 11. And we, we've been looking at the life of King Solomon. And tonight, we will be finishing up with the life of King Solomon. Um, he dies at the end of this chapter. It's a spoiler alert, I know. It's like... <sighs> but it's interesting because we, we haven't had a long time with Solomon. Not like we had with David. Um, we've been studying the the life of, of King Solomon for several weeks, a few months, probably a couple months, depending on how, how long it's been. And, and, and you've got to say, as we've been looking at this man's life, he is a fascinating person. He, he, is, he, is, he is a man who, who again, he, he just, to try to understand all that he is, because there's so much about him. Because you, you could go... You, you could go to like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You could go to the Song of Solomon. He wrote all those. And yet, you know, we, we read about his life and all that he built and all that he had. And you're going, man, he is a pretty interesting character to say the least. There's so many different facets about him. If anybody had been born um, or handed... Um, a silver platter to him. It, 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 was, it was King Solomon. Or, or should I say a, a golden platter because silver was like, like dirt to him, you know? It was nothing to him. Man, he was handed a golden platter with everything that he could ever imagine. It was right there at his fingertips. There, there's an old saying I think it goes something like this. Uh, it, it's not so much how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. I think a lot of people can start off well. And because of time and distance, it just depends on your stamina. I think some people want to start the, the race on a sprint and they burn out so quick. And, and yet this, this Christian life is not a sprint. It's, it's a marathon. It, it, it's something that you have to pace yourself, but you can get to the other end. And so there's a lot of people that start off well, but they don't end up finishing well. And that's a sad commentary for any of us. But it's a sad commentary when we read the life of this fascinating man who had everything handed to him, who, 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 who God just totally blessed so much. And when we get to the end of his life here, we're going to see something about him that you're kind of just, you cock your head and you're like, dude, what was up with you, man? What happened to you? As we get into our, our study, I, I want to share some scriptures with you because they're very important for us to understand. And that is that God had and has already given instruction and warning of what he says and why he says it. And, he's, and, and I share this because of what we're going to cover tonight for sure. But for each one of our lives, if you've been walking with the Lord just for a short time even, even for a short time, you should understand that, that in God's economy, he, he wants to bless and he wants to pour out blessings and he wants to continue to bless. 
And, and yet, there's these caveats that are in the Word of God that especially if you go into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 28, if you do these things, I will bless you. If you do these things, I will curse you. And it, it, it follows us into the New Testament. Sow of the flesh, or, or yeah, sow to the flesh and you will reap corruption. Sow to the Spirit and you will reap of the Spirit. You know, and, and so there's that, that, that if you're doing this and this, and so God, throughout His Word though, He, he warns us, throughout his word. And so he, I, I want to read these scriptures to you because what we're going to look at tonight, Solomon was not oblivious to, to what was going to happen here. It, it, it wasn't like God was surprised. No, he, he warned his people. And God always warns his people and is always for the good of the people, especially his people whether we're talking about the children of Israel or we're talking about the church. All he does, all he gives us is for our benefit. He gives us situations like this that we, have been, that we are studying today, but we have studied through his life as warnings. There's these consequences that follow certain disobedience. And so, again, God is not surprised understandably so because he knows it all but Solomon wasn't surprised he shouldn't have been surprised because he knew the word of God and 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 especially the the book of De- Deuteronomy the De- the book of Deuteronomy was the book of the law basically and as king each king was to write out the book of Deuteronomy his own copy in his own writing basically and so the book of Deuteronomy would be no stranger to Solomon being the wisest man, being the kind of man that he was, I'm sure he wrote it like in a heartbeat. And maybe he didn't pay attention, but the guy was smart, man. So he, he probably had a photographic memory. But be that as it may, it says in Deuteronomy, and, I, and you can jot down these, these scriptures. I'm not going to turn to them. I have them on my notes right here. Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. God, again, explaining to the children of Israel about kings that, that, that he would let them have and the direction that they should take. And so he's telling them what they should do and not do. He says, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So God is very clear in what he is telling the children of Israel when he allows them to have a king, that this is what the kings are supposed to do and not do. In Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 12 to verse 16, God speaking to the children of Israel, He says, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall not worship, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord 
whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them, for you shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter to your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. When we read scriptures like this, again, it's for our benefit. He was writing to the children of Israel. But we see throughout the New Testament the warnings that that were given, not just in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, there's a lot of stories that we can learn from, but in the epistles as well. There's a lot of direction, instruction, rebuke, if you will. And so if you're reading on a regular basis, you should be getting a good, healthy dose of rebuke and warning. Oh, the blessings are there and the promises are there. And we love those. You know, we put those on our refrigerators. Little notes or little sticky notes, you know, with Scripture. We don't often put rebukes on <laughs> little sticky notes. Oh, how cute, you know. It's not the kind that they sell in the Christian bookstores, you know, so you can, you know, your little bookmarker, you know. These Scriptures are probably not there. But be that as it may, they're scriptures for us to understand that God has laid out the plan. And if we're reading on a regular basis, we should not be surprised when we willfully desire to disobey and stay in that disobedience without repentance. So 1 Kings chapter 11, I try to set the stage here for you of what's coming. It says the first eight verses and then we'll camp out there for a while. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women from, of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as the heart as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcon, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not 
fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemas, the abomination of Moab, on the hill at the east side of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. As, as we look at the first four verses here, it says, but King Solomon loved. Now, we could say that King Solomon loved the Lord. We could say that King Solomon loved wisdom. We, 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 we could say that King Solomon loved the children of Israel. He loved building. He loved nature. He loved challenges. And the list can go on and on of the things that he loved. Because he loved a lot of those things. As he started out in his life, he began in a very humble way, even though he was the son of a king, and everything was handed to him on a golden platter, basically. There was a humility about him that when God asked him, Solomon, what do you want? That he says, I want an understanding heart to judge your people. He loved the Lord. He understood because the Lord had appeared to him. And now he has a relationship with the Lord. And the Lord's telling him, what do you want, man? Just tell me and I'll give it to you. And so we could say that he loved the Lord, that he loved wisdom, that he loved the nation of Israel because he wanted to be a good king for them. I'm sure he heard the stories of Saul, but he also had his dad as an example and the good and the bad that came from, from David. But we see that Solomon, throughout his reign, he is always being not compared to his dad, but told, hey, walk in the ways of your dad. And we know that his dad was not perfect, but his dad knew how to repent. He knew that. And that the, opposed to King Saul. Saul, Saul never knew how to repent. And that was the total difference between those two guys. And so he had this model that God kept on saying, as long as you walk according to your father. And we know again that his dad was not perfect because, because he, he sinned, he killed, he murdered, he, 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 he did all these things, he committed adultery, all those things. But yet he repented of those things. And so when God says, hey, follow after David because he followed after me. God, it's almost like God never brought up the bad stuff about David. And he's telling his son here, you know, to, to follow after his way. So we know that he loved the Lord. He loved all this stuff. He loved building, man. Everything was laid out for him. He loved nature. We, we know that he was into all these kinds of, of things throughout the world. He knew everything about everything. And he loved challenges because people would come and give him riddles and he would solve them. And nothing was too hard for the cat. Nothing was too hard for this guy. And so all these things that he loved are true statements. But what we have here is that at, at the start of verse or chapter 11, it says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women. He had a pretty girl ministry. <laughs> if she was pretty, man, he wanted to get to know her especially if they were foreign. The, 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 the King James calls them strange women, but they weren't strange as in goofy or, or out there. They were foreign women. 
Now we know that that he he would make treaties all over the place so that he could be surrounded by peace. But come on, how many how many of these nations were there? You know that he had to like make a treaty with every stinking every one of them. It's like come on. There's a lot, again, that we could say about King Solomon here. It's like you have everything that your hearts could desire, and yet he could not pass up another wife. You know, again, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know, once you get like to like a hundred wives, wouldn't you like just kind of sit and ponder and go, I have a lot of wives. That's a hundred different drama things, you know, going on. There's that, that's, you know, okay, so you got 100. You know, once you get to like 400, 500, it's like, okay, I think he should stop now. But he just can't for some reason. He continues to, to multiply wives. Now, again, most of us who are married, you know our wives, man, they, they could be expensive. They like to eat and they like to get dressed. You know, they, they, it's expensive. One wife is expensive, Right? Can you imagine two or three or four wives? Can you imagine 700 wives that you've got to take care of? Now again, it's, it's, it's part of a, a, a whole ego trip for this man. Because again, as king, and a lot of kings, they had a harem. They had a lot of women. But he was like the most powerful king, and nobody could touch him. And for him, I think the building of more and more wives is because they are expensive. And again, I'm sure they lived in luxury, in the lap of luxury. For, for a king to say, I have ten wives, is like, man, dude, you must have some bucks. Because you have to take care of ten women. But for Solomon, it's like nobody could even touch him. When they knew you have that many wives. It, it, again, it's like he, he, everything was elaborate. Everything that he, he did, nobody could tell him no. Nobody. <laughs> you know, you think, you know, you're the smartest guy, you know. <laughs> Why would you need that many? It's like, it's kind of dumb on my, you know, from my perspective. It's like, dang, that's a lot of women. And then on top of that, he has the 300 concubines. <laughs> you're kidding me. I, but, but, but I like the way the Amplified puts this first part. It says, But King Solomon defiantly loved many foreign women. The biggest problem that we have here is that King Solomon knew what the Lord said about this whole thing. He knew it. He knew what the Word of God said. That you shall not multiply wives. Now, even that is, is, is wrong. Don't get me wrong. God never endorsed the, the multiplying of wives. It just became a status thing that, that people would have wives. And you look through the Old Testament, and a lot of these guys had plenty of wives. Not, not that many, but, but not like Solomon. But they had wives. And God never said that. God never wanted them to do that. But the problem and, and again, don't get me wrong, it's not so much all the wives. It's the fact that he did this 
knowingly, he, defi- he defiantly disobeyed God. Not once, not five, not ten, not even a hundred. He defiantly disobeyed God 700 times. There's a bigger picture here. There's something wrong here. King Solomon started off his reign by asking the Lord for an understanding heart to judge his people. He started off well. Lord, how can I rule your people? And because he didn't ask for anything else, God gave him everything else. Everything else. All the wisdom he could imagine. All the riches he could imagine. This was purely disobedience in Solomon's part. Again, now we're at the end of his life. They're telling us how many wives he had accumulated. So he had reigned for 40 years. So he was a youngster, late teens, early 20s, probably more 20s, when he started his reign. And so he started accumulating wives from the get-go. We know for sure that the daughter of Pharaoh was his favorite because she is mentioned all the time. And yet we have the book of the Song of Solomon with the Shulamite. It's like, come on, dude, which one are you truly in love with? He knew, he knew what God had said. He wasn't ignorant of this. Now we know that the two kings before him had multiple wives. And every king after him would have multiple wives. We understand that. But nobody ever even got close in that respect to Solomon. Again, many kings would multiply wives to, to have treaties all around. And because of all the treaties that he had made, he had peace all around him. And in that, the Lord blessed him in that sense because he had told him, there will be peace in your days if you keep on walking in my ways. And so again, you're kind of looking going, yeah, but he's marrying these people to have this. But you see, this whole treaty deal, making treaties with other nations and and marrying, this was a lack of trust that the Lord was the one that was going to take care of him. Again, when God said, hey, you will have peace, God was going to take care of all the nations. He didn't have to make all these treaties, but he went ahead and did it. Now, it tells us again that that he had the wife or his his. I call her her favorite wife, the daughter of Pharaoh from Egypt. So that would take care of the north, or, or, of the south. He had, he had peace down there. And then it, the, the next three that, that, that are mentioned, these areas um, east of the Jordan uh, would be uh, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. They were east of the Jordan River, so he had all that. The Sidonians were, were in, in, where Tyre is at in Sidon and Syria area, just north of him, the Phoenicians area. 
And then the Hittites would be even further north, what we would call modern-day Turkey, or where Galatia and all those places are at. That's where the Hittites were. So he had all this landmass and all these people. He had made treaties because he married all these foreign women from all over the place. All of these, though, were off-limits, as we read in some of the, the scriptures that I shared with you where he told them, I don't want you to, to, to intermarry with them. I don't want you to mingle with them or come into them, as the King James puts it. I don't want you to have relationships with them and become one with them. God was very, very clear. He made it clear to them of why He didn't want them to intermarry. And it wasn't because He's racist or He's this or that. It's none of those things. It's because He knew that they would turn their heart away from Him to serve other gods. That's why. That's why he said, I don't want you to do this. Again, the word of God is clear, crystal clear, of why God would put, put limits on what the nation of Israel should do and should not do. Because this, was, this is what will happen if you disobey me. And it's interesting because when we go into the New Testament, again, to the Christian in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, it says this in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 6, starting off in verse 11. It says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own afflictions or affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Even in the New Testament, God warns His people, do not be unequally yoked. Do not intermarry with someone who you have nothing in common with. Hmm. Whenever anybody comes together in marriage, they bring their gods with them into marriage. They bring their gods with them. Now, even, even among Christian people, what? Not everybody, they might say, well, Lord, Lord, <laughs> but they're bringing their gods with them, the things that they, they are attached to. And so even in that, you know, it's like, okay, do you guys understand that both of you guys are bringing stuff here? Who is going to sit on the throne of your hearts? Every time 
Solomon brought somebody else in, they brought their gods with them. Whenever we, we marry, we bring what we have with us. If God is not the Almighty in their life, oh, they, they can, he can be a part of their life, but he is not their everything. Then something else goes on the throne besides God Almighty. Oh, he's a part of them. I, I don't think that Solomon forgot about his God. I really don't think so. Even though he had all these women coming, he had this huge building right up by his house called the temple that he could not forget. That is the temple of God. It took me seven years. It took him seven years to build it. The, the glory of God dwells in there. So it's not like he forgot God because that was a reminder of who God Almighty was every time he stepped out of his house. So it's not like he forgot about his God, <laughs> about the God of his father. It's just that he became one of many gods because there were so many other gods that had come in. And again, when people come together, it's like, well, God, Jesus, I, I, I love Jesus, <laughs> but how many other gods are there that Jesus is just part of the equation and he is not that person's life when he comes into a marriage. God will become part of many gods and, and quite honestly, God does not take a, sec, a, a backseat to any God. Not any. He needs to be on the throne. Not because he's some narcissistic kind of God, it's because he is the creator and he is jealous. As we sang today. <laughs> he is jealous for you. You're his creation. Why shouldn't he? And it says that Solomon clung to these in love. And the word clung is the same word that is used in Genesis 5, uh, 2, 24, where it talks about a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Or as the King James puts it, he shall cleave to his wife. He shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This is the same word that is used here. In other words, Solomon became one with every one of his wives and his concubines for that matter. I know that it says that Solomon loved them. <laughs> but I have to say, how is it possible how is it truly possible to love 700 wives? How long will it take you to count to 700 right now? Much less name off 700 names right now and tell me you love every one of them. How do you remember that many? Again, we know that you know the, 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 the wife, the, the Philistine, the not the Philistine, the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, she's mentioned. We, we, we know that the Song of Solomon, man, he truly dug the Shulamite woman. He dug on her. Again, verse 3 tells us how many wives he had. How many women were a part of his life, basically. 700 wives, princesses. Again, they lived as princesses. 
and 300 concubines. And a concubine was a, a slave or more of a sex kind of slave. That's a thousand women in his life. And even though he may not have loved all the concubines, <laughs> there's still 700 of these wives. <laughs> Again, that's just a lot of wives. Now, all these women brought their gods with them into marriage and Solomon wanted to accommodate every one of them, every one of these foreign wives. I don't know how many of the foreign wives were part of the 700, but I'm assuming there's a lot. <clears throat> but he wanted to accommodate them and in doing that, they turned his heart away from God. These women had a lot of influence in his life. Three different times in these four verses says that his heart would be or was turned away from God and went after other gods. His heart, it says, was not loyal, perfect, complete, or whole to the Lord, his God. Again, because he was trying to make everybody else happy. His loyalty to his God was not there anymore. And we touched on this on Sunday morning, how everything wants to be on that throne. Everything. Everything in our lives. The, again, good or bad, man. It, it could be ministry, from ministry to something perverted. To what, whatever it is, it wants to take that throne. And Solomon, man, he started off so well. So well. And yet these women brought him down. I, I, I don't think that he intended to be in this position. Again, maybe he thought, man, after one wife, I'll, I'll, I'll convert her. After the two, three, I'll pretty soon he's not. He's not converting any of them. They brought him down. It, it, it's much easier to bring somebody down than to pull somebody up. I don't know if you know that. I don't care, you could be a big guy that's standing somewhere up here, a little bigger, and, and, and some young, small little girl can pull you down easier than you lifting her up. The, 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 it's, it's just easier to do that. And Solomon, with all the wisdom, with everything that he had, he was brought down because of these women. He had a problem <laughs> with women. In verses 5 through through nine or through eight right here, it, it says that all of a sudden, after all these women and, and things, it says, so after, so Solomon went after the Asterisk and, and the, the uh, Milcon and, and Shemesh and Molech. These were just some of the gods that, the, that his wives <coughs> brought into the marriage. <laughs> it's not that the land of Egypt or the land of Israel had not known about other gods because when they came in, they were to destroy all the gods of the people who dwelt there. They were to destroy 
everything, obliterate and destroy all the high places, all the gods. They were to get rid of them. And here, after they hadn't done a great job of getting rid of everything, yet Solomon begins to introduce worship of other gods to the nations. It wasn't hard for the people to follow after his lead. There's this tendency even within people to put other things besides the Lord God Almighty on the throne. And this is what began to happen in Solomon's life. And and all of a sudden the people, he would introduce this to the people. And from here on out, we're going to hear many a times about the kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. The asterisk was, um, she was the goddess of, of pleasure, well, all these guys, uh, Asterisk, Malcolm, or Milcom, and uh, Shemesh, and Molech, they all had to do with pleasure or sensuality or fertility, uh, child sacrifice, male, female prostitution was, was, was something of, of the norm within the, the worship of these gods. The, the, the god Molech was this big, ugly, kind of goat-looking Thing, but he had his arms out that they would they would sacrifice children after burning you know having his arms burnt red and go and sacrifice children there asterisk in in, in other societies like <clears throat> like the romans <clears throat> she was the uh, she was known as a uh, aphrodite um after that whole thing of the uh, aphrodisiac type stuff it was this, this pla- pleasure all the stuff that was associated with all these things. And so Solomon, again, he's caught up in all this pleasure, in all this, this sensuality and fertility. I, was, I forgot to look up how many kids he had, but after 700 wives, you can imagine he had a lot of kids. <clears throat> Solomon not only allowed these gods to come into the land and into his house, but he also built high places for them. There was those were temp, the, those were altars and places of. I, I got, sorry, yeah, sorry. I, should, <clears throat> I was just trying to hold out. <clears throat> but all of these were abominations to the Lord, all of them. Solomon fell into this trap and all of a sudden he probably thought that because the Lord kept on blessing him throughout these 40 years that God was okay with what he was doing and he wasn't. Solomon was not fully following the Lord anymore because all these things crowded him out. And so in verse 9 it says, so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear it away 
the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David <clears throat> and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so God became angry with him. You see, God was not impressed with all the, all the royalty and all the splendor that he had. God had looked at the heart and his heart had separated from him. God always looks at our heart. He doesn't care what you have. God will bless us and he will bless us with so many things, guys. And we can let those blessings take possession of who we are and put, be placed where God's supposed to be. But he looks at our heart. He truly always checks out our heart and we need to have him search our hearts regularly all the time because it could be scary, guys, when God, all of a sudden you're going, man, I'm doing all these things that are right and God's going, here, let me just pour it onto you, man. And it's not just financially, it's just things in our lives. But those things can become such a burden to us because we're focusing on everything else and God has taken a back seat and he will not take a back seat. He won't. And there will come a time where he will let things happen in our lives so that he, we could draw back to him. And there's people It's like, well, why would God do this? And it's like, well, why were you being disobedient? Oh, I wasn't being disobedient. It's like, who's been on the throne lately? And if you're quite honest with yourself, something else has been put, put on that throne. And sometimes he just pulls the rug from under us. And I don't understand it or why he does it or how he does it. <clears throat> Solomon, who wrote in, in, in Proverbs 4, 23, says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And yet, <clears throat> his heart had been turned from God. And in his old age, he, his heart was far away from the Lord. The fact that the Lord became angry <clears throat> was not a surprise to Solomon. It shouldn't have been. He knew it. Again, Deuteronomy 4, 7.4 says that, you know, if you turn your heart away from following me to serve other gods, the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And so all of a sudden, this was coming upon him. And notice that through all of this that we have just covered, not once do we see Solomon repenting. Not once. You never hear of him have, being remorseful. You don't see him going like, Lord, What? How did I get here? He didn't even do that. He, he didn't like, Lord, I am so sorry. But now I've got to take care of these 700 wives. Give me the wisdom. <laughs> not, but not once. One, not once is, is, do we see that there is a repentant heart for his willful, deliberate disobedience. I could guarantee you that if, he would have, if we would have read that right here, he would have finished different than how he finished. Again, we could, we could read Ecclesiastes. If you read Ecclesiastes, he is, such a, he is in such a far place from God. And, and everything is just vanity of vanities in his life. And when he gets to the end, he realizes, guys, the only thing that really matters is God. That's how he finishes it off. And most commentators believe that he did have a turn at the end of his life. I hope, I hope he did. But it just doesn't look like he finished well. And so <clears throat> let me just read from here to the end of the chapter. It says, Now... The Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up 
to bury the slain after he killed every male of Eden. Because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male of Eden, Edom. But Hadad fled out, fled to go to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. And they came and no, and they arose from Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, apportioned food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him his wife as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, his sister, uh, Queen Tepenes. And then his sister, the sister of Petenes, or whatever her name is, and this other guy uh, bore a son. Uh, I'm going to just skip these names for the most part. Just say whatchamacallit or whoever. Anyways, and so Patanis weaned in the house of Pharaoh, this guy, and this other guy, (laughs) dang it, um, was in Pharaoh's household among the, the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad went to um, Pharaoh, uh, said, said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me uh, that, you, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? And he answered nothing, but let me go away. And God raised another, <clears throat> raised up another adversary against him. Rezon, um, the son of Iliad, and he fled, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, um, king of this place. So he gathered men with him and became captain over the band of raiders when uh, David killed those of Zorba. And they uh, went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred abhorred, uh, Israel and reigned over Syria. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite from from this place, and his mother's name was that, a widow, um, was also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the millow and repaired the damage of the city of David, his father. The man, Jeroboam, was mighty was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon seeing that the man was a industrious, made him uh, the officer over all the f- labor force of the house of Joseph and it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shun, 
whatever, came, uh, met him on the way, and he had clothed him with a new garment. And the two were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worship Asterisk, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemesh, the god of the uh, Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands at hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you, and build for you an enduring house, as I did for David. And I will give Israel to you. <clears throat> and I will afflict the descendants of David. And cause and because of this, but not forever. <clears throat> Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, <clears throat> who was in Egypt until the day until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned over or in Jerusalem, <clears throat> over all Israel, was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So we see that because of all the disobedience, God had, had told to him, if you follow my commandments, I will have peace all around you. But all of a sudden, these, these adversaries were risen up from two different places and then from within his own household, his own company, where Jeroboam was called now to be the king of the northern tribes, the ten tribes of, of Israel. And, and, and uh, Solomon, or uh, Rehoboam, would, would keep two tribes in the southern part, which would be Benjamin and Judah. And so the kingdom is going to be split, all because of disobedience. And guys, I just want to encourage you that, again, the Word of God encourages us. The Word of God, as it says in 
in First Timothy, or is it Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Guys, he has given us our template, our manual of how we are to live our lives. There's two ways that we can always go, obedience or disobedience, and there's always consequences for those. But what we've learned as we've studied the kings, these three kings already, two men could not repent. One man did, always. He always had that short leash. Oh, sometimes it took a little longer. But God always admired David, a man after my own heart. He never brought up his sins when he repented. And guys, that's who we have, man. God, is, God, God has told us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, of, all our righteousness. He is our advocate that when we sin, he is our advocate. He is always on our side. Guys, learn to be repented all the time. We sin every day. We should be repenting twice as much because <laughs> there's sins that we don't even think about sometimes. So anyways, guys, we got a great story about, uh, about Solomon. It's a sad story at the end. What a sad commentary. This man who had it all, and yet we see that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. wasn't good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again so much for the examples that you give us through your word. Oh, Lord, that we would learn from them. Lord, break our hearts, Lord, for the things that break your heart. Lord, you reveal to us what is right and what is wrong, Lord. And Lord, you are not mocked in any way, Lord. Father, please help us, Lord. Because we are sinners, Lord God, that are saved by grace, we understand that, Lord. That, God, we would learn, that we would know, Lord God, how to have a broken and contrite heart. That we would know, Lord God, what it means to repent and turn away from evil, from the things that will drag us down, Lord. Lord, that we would repent from those things that we put on the throne of our hearts. That should be your place, Lord. God, again, Lord God, there's so many things, good and bad, that wants to take that. And so, Lord, keep us on our knees. Keep us with a repentant heart, Lord God, a joyful heart because of who you are, Lord. What a beautiful word you've given us, repentance, Lord, that we get to do that. And we thank you for that, Lord. You've, ta you've taught us even tonight what it means when someone does not repent, Lord. There are, there are consequences for that. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.